Welcome to the latest instalment of Curious Capitalist. So on this edition, we have the pleasure of speaking with Gavin Watson. So tell us a little bit, Gavin, about how you got to this point in your career. Sure. So in college, I was a uh, psychology and religious studies major. So I was really interested basically in people, uh, how they work, and then also the sort of big questions, why are we all here? What are we all, you know, what's this all about kind of stuff. So after graduating from college, I had worked at a couple of different jobs, started my own boat building business. And uh, my father reached out to me. It was one February. They were moving the plant from New York City up to uh, West Haven, Connecticut. And he needed help with uh, installing the new equipment. And he said, you know, it's miserable in the boatyard in, in um, February anyway. Why don't you come work with us? So I did and had a really good time. Ended up uh, joining, becoming part of the maintenance department um, and worked through various jobs in manufacturing and other things. And uh, yeah, basically that's how I got sucked into the family business. I had no intention of doing it. It just sort of happened. <laughs> it's always the way. So tell me a little bit about the family business. Sure. So um, we've been in business for 80 years and uh, we uh, make uh, vitamin and mineral premixes. So basically vitamins and minerals that you you know see all the time that are in your breakfast cereal, sports drinks, um, sports nutrition bars, vitamin mineral supplement tablets and things like that. So we make those ingredients, um, put them together and then we sell them to other companies that um, make the consumer products. Oh, fantastic. And you're locally based here in Connecticut, in West yes. Haven, did you say? Yes, exactly. Yes. Oh, fantastic. fantastic. So what do you wish you'd known before you started out on that career path? Sure. So now that I'm where I am now, what I wish I'd known are all the things that have been sort of discovered in the field of uh, positive psychology and uh, evolutionary psychology in the last 20 years or so. Because those have really shed a lot of light on who we are as human beings. Back in the day when I was first starting to be a manager and there's just none of that information and knowledge around. So we were all kind of flying by the seat of the pants. People say, yeah, you should do it this way. Yeah, you should do it that way and <laughs> different ideas. And um, But now it's it's much more clear what the what the really good ways to do things are. Okay, so let's, let's dig a bit deeper, Gavin. Tell me, if you could have dinner with any figure in history, who would it be and why? And what questions would you ask them? Sure. So I think I'd like to have dinner with Ernest Shackleton. The thing that I would be really interested in talking to him about is it'd just be how did the whole group dynamic work? Why did it succeed? How were they able to overcome so many, so many hurdles, so many um, extraordinary circumstances and pull it out and have everybody survive? Because uh, it is a tremendous accomplishment. And, and I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned there about, about human beings and how, you know, how optimally we all work together. He, he and his group certainly had it down or they never would have made it. That's a fantastic answer. What is the greatest personal fear that you have faced in your life? The greatest uh, immediate fear was thinking I was going to die at one point when I was in my 20s um, with a boating accident in early spring and the water was really cold. The boat, there was huge wind, uh, the boat capsized, but uh, fortunately me and the other guy, um, the boat righted itself. We were able to jump back in, uh, but that was kind of a close call. Um, so that's sort of, that's, you know, sort of the, one of the most immediate sort of. Absolutely. I bet it was yeah. cold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. How did you first get involved with conscious capitalism in Connecticut? Well, we've been basically running our company, trying to make it a, uh, a better place uh, and trying, trying out a lot of different things. 
I've been reading a lot of books. I've read probably about 80 different books at that point on various parts of psychology and business practices, management, that sort of thing. And then I finally found the Conscious Capitalism book, read that and said, oh, here we go. It's a thing. Um, so it's my, it's my daughter says, oh, it's it's now it's a thing. You know, so it, there's a there's a word for it, a name, and we have a term and, and everybody's clear about what it is. So you can say a thing and, and people will, if familiar with it, will know exactly what you're talking about. And people who don't can, can easily find out and that was sort of a big struggle that I was having because people would say well what is it you're trying to do and I would be trying to explain it and stumbling all Absolutely. and it take forever to try to put it all together and then suddenly you had a name for it right exactly all of a sudden it's like great now we have a thing <laughs> thinking about culture and leadership and without defaulting to the generic core values what language do you use to describe your organization's culture and does it have a definable character yeah, so what we say about our uh, company is we say we're an invested fellowship fostering health and happiness for all. So that's our, that's our statement. And what, what that really means is that we're investing in each other every day because um, that's, that's, that's really what a company's primary purpose is, is to provide an opportunity and a, a place for people to grow and become who they want to be. So there's no you know better opportunity than when you come to work and it, are working with a bunch of other people who are also trying to do the same thing. You recognize you're on a journey together. It's a fellowship. You're trying to help each other out and become who you are. So it's, you know, and the way you know that it's working or the really critical parts of that we're, we're learning every day, we're, we're making improvements. There's positive emotion in the environment. People are happy and engaged and, and that kind of thing. Absolutely. It's being around like-minded people, isn't it? Right. On that same path. Yep. How do you know you have an accurate picture of what your culture really is and how do you measure it? Yeah, it, you can feel it. <laughs> uh, so you can, you come in in the building and, and, and people are excited. They're, they're uh, happy to see you. They're, they're engaged in what they're doing. Uh, they're excited about what's happening, that kind of thing. So that's really where it's, where it's at. Even, um, you know, so I'll come in at uh, six o'clock in the morning, see the people on the night shift and they're, they're, you know, it's the end of their shift and they've been working there for a long time and they're all excited and, and you know, about, about their day and what's been going on and what they've been doing and that kind of thing. So Sounds like yeah. a great environment. What's been your biggest cultural failing? How did you overcome it? Has anyone ever left your company as a result of that culture? And if so, why and what did you do about it? Tough question. Yeah, so um, I don't think anybody's ever left. Um, we have sent some people off. <laughs> you fired people, Gavin. Yes, we fired people who weren't a good fit. Um, so, you know, when you have some individuals who are just, you know, chest thumpers, too narcissistic, you know, whatever, they think it's all about them, um, that really gets in the way. I think one of the one of the most difficult things is explaining what we're doing to people who, so that, so that they can get it. So most people catch on pretty quick and figure out what we're talking about. Some people have a hard time, mm -hmm. and I'm, it's almost analogous, I think, to you know, there's a um, the FM radio frequency band, and some people can hear the full spectrum. And other people, it starts to fade out about 101, 103, something like that. So they can't get the high end of the dial. It just doesn't click. You know? Don't tell me the people who are listening on AM, you fired them, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, it seems like just that some people just have a really hard time tuning into that, to the frequency we're, we're trying to do. So It um, really so is that, that, that kind of group dynamic is so important to your business. Yeah. 
What attribute of culture in your company has been the most important to attain and the hardest to maintain? Why? And ultimately, how did you make that happen? So the most important thing is, the question is easy, the most important thing is autonomy. So to, to have any of this work, you, people have to feel a sense of autonomy that they're that they have some direction in what they're doing and how they're going to do it, who they're going to do it with. It's hard to do because it, you're going against the normal way that most people are are used to working, um, both the managers and the people who are being managed. Um, because we're you know we all grow up in a school system where people are sitting in nice little you know desks and neat little rows. We're all learning the same thing at the same time. We're talking about a thing now where different people are learning different things at different times and different ways, and and then going about and doing their job you know differently, which is a really different way of of going about things and and doing stuff. But without autonomy, you can't have the intrinsic motivation that really drives the right kind of culture, fully human culture forward. How do you measure the return on your culture? And what's it worth in financial terms to you? Obviously, if a, you know, if a company is in business to do more than just make money and, you know, one of the primary purposes is to provide an engaging work environment, then, you know, it, it, that's a very important thing. Um, the way I look at money, it's like breathing. So, um, you know, we're breathing, we have to breathe. If we stop breathing, it's all going to fall apart. And, you know, for companies, it's the same way. If there's no flow of money, it's not happening. But you're not, you know, you don't exist to breathe and I don't exist to breathe. And, and the company doesn't exist just to make money. It exists for, for a lot more than that. So if you can sense that everybody's getting a lot out of work and, and really engaged, that's, that's really important. I think, you know, from a financial point of view, it's probably responsible for at least 50% of the profits of the company. You would get some profits and, and the company would be okay without it, but you're going to be mediocre performance. So, you know, the, the, if you get the culture right, it, the sky's the limit. Everything really just takes off. Wow, 50%. That's a massive, yeah. massive boost. If you could snap your fingers and make one cultural change happen in your company, what would it be and why? The one cultural change I would make would be to get everybody to just relax about strategic planning and budgeting. And the main reason for that is that the world is not predictable. So, you know, like I think the analogy I've heard most is, is, you know, a car engine or an automobile is complicated. You know, an airplane is complicated. Human beings and human organizations are complex. They're way beyond predictable. So, you know, you know what a car will do, you know what an airplane will do. And, you know, an engineer can study it long enough, they'll figure it out. You cannot predict what a group of people will do. So the variation is, is huge. And then that's just, so you're looking at maybe the variation, you know, what could happen in a particular company, who's gonna stay, who's gonna leave, what are people gonna do inside the company? But then you've got all those other companies, your suppliers and your, your customers, what's going on with them. You've got the global political thing, you know, who could have predicted that we'd be having a trade war with China, you know, two years ago. So, so planning all of this stuff out and trying to hold people to a budget is just, it's just ridiculously insane. Um, so really what should be happening is people should be envisioning what they'd like to happen, how they'd like to see it go, and then everybody trying to work towards that you know, end. And then when they see pieces coming together, recognize that it's coming together and do something about it. But to try to plan it all out and a whole people that you know, on this, you know, by this end of this quarter, we're gonna be at so-and-so, that, that makes no sense. No, fair point. The other thing in, you know, from a corporate point of view, what you know corporations are trying to do is they're trying to tell their shareholders what they expect is going to happen and then 
their shareholders are are expecting something like that to happen or maybe a little better than that but that's what they're looking for and when that doesn't happen which is very easily not you know a possibility because you know everything is complex and not complicated you know way beyond complicated that is it's highly likely that thing won't happen and then when it doesn't then it's a huge crisis and everybody's running around cutting things all over the place and trying to you know manage you know find places to cut you know spending or or whatever and that makes no sense because you're doing is you're cutting off your future now at that point. You know, you should really be looking at, you know, where do we want to be, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now and, and running the thing in a sensible way so that you can, you know, you'll be in good shape then. You know, what I think a lot of corporations are afraid of is they're afraid of those stockholders that trade shares in short periods of time. And they just need to get over it, get rid of those stockholders. You know, declare that they're going to be a different kind of company and that they're in it for the long haul and that they're in it for the right types of things. And all of those people who aren't in it for those reasons, well, all those shareholders will all bail on them. Their stock will drop. And then a bunch of other shareholders who care about the same things that they care about and care about the long term are going to be in it for five or 10 years. Those people will join and their stock will go back up. You just got to pull the Band-Aid, get over it. And, you know, because that's the only way that you're going to transition to something that's better. You're speaking, obviously, as a private company. Yes. How about when you're part of more of a corporate identity? Sure. So when you're, yeah, so when you're part of a corporate identity, you know, I think there needs to be, there needs to be an overhaul in the mindset of, of investors. And there, there is. You, you can see a lot of these new investing things emerging now, um, for, which are ESG, environmental, social, and governance uh, type investing, conscious investing, groups that are, these, these funds are coming out that are investing in those kinds of companies. So if you're a corporation and you can get those kinds of investors to invest in your corporation, then you're gonna you're not going to be subject to those, you know, quarterly report things and stuff like that, because they're going to be those people are looking for other kinds of things. So as an investor personally myself, I'm trying to figure out how to find those companies that really care about their employees, that take care of them and that have these kinds of really great human cultures because those are the companies that I know will succeed over the long term. So that's where I want to put my money. I'm not interested in putting it in a, in a company that is concerned about, you know, next quarter's numbers or, or, or something like that, because those are the companies that are most likely to make bad decisions. They're going to cut something that they shouldn't cut. They're going to violate some sort of thing. I mean, that's the whole, you know, Enron is the, is the typical like extreme example of all that where people just didn't do the right thing over and over again. And it, and it does tend to happen, you know, quite often people get pushed and pushed and pushed. And at some point they feel so much pressure. They do something that's not really smart. Mm-hmm. Um, and even all the things up to that point aren't, aren't driving towards the long-term success of that company. Those things are, are short, very short-sighted. Mm, yeah, that's a really interesting take on it. Okay, so Gavin, so when you're not focused on your work and the business, yeah. what do you do to relax? You mentioned sailing earlier. I mean, you're yeah, still a yeah. sailor. <laughs> yes, I'm still a sailor. Um, so I have a place up in Maine out on an island. Uh, it's great to go out there and go sailing. I also like to build boats. Build so, them? Yeah, so um, that's what I was doing before I joined the company. And I still do that. I've probably built five or six boats while I've been working at the company at the same time. Uh, so yeah, that's what I, I love to do that. Design boats, build boats. I love woodworking. 
things like that. Fantastic. So we're talking sailing boats, not yeah. motorboats. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Fantastic. So when you're relaxing, watching television, uh, what's your favourite kind of TV or Netflix series when you're relaxing? Sure. Uh, my wife and I like to watch uh, Mrs. Maisel. Yeah. Ah, okay. That's her, her favourite thing. Yeah. <laughs> Binge watching. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking about the culture in your business, uh, would you say that your organisation has a stated higher purpose? If so, what is it and how did you arrive at it? Is it widely embraced or down to the most junior employee and, and how do you really know that? Yeah, so since we're a food company, it's it's pretty easy because uh, food is a great thing. And basically, what we're trying to do is make the world a better place through better nutrition. So that's a that's a really good um, nice nice thing to be able to do for the world. And then at the same time, sort of what, what I was saying before, too, is that at the same time, there's this, this sort of inward looking thing, uh, which is about the employees and creating a great work environment for people to come in every day and, and be engaged. One of the things I'll tell people, it, it, I do it about an hour and a half onboarding thing with all the new employees. And one of the things I tell them is that their paycheck is really just a stipend. Um, it's They need money to get by. We have an arrangement, you come in, you do work, and I pay you, you know, we pay you money. And just like, you know, the company needs money, you need money, everybody needs this to keep going, it's like breathing. But you've also come in here and you've invested eight hours or 40 hours with all the rest of us of your life. I don't have enough money to cover 40 hours or eight hours of your life. So for that investment that you've put in, I owe you something else. We all owe you something else for that. And, and you know, what that thing is really is creating a great work environment so that, you know, so you can be happy, you can come in, you can be engaged, you can leave fulfilled at the end of the day, as Simon Sinek says, and we can all help each other to grow and become who we, who we intend to be. What sort of things have you got in place uh, for employees? So are, we, are we talking practical things like flexi time? And what sort of things do you do you offer your employees above and beyond the the paycheck? Yeah. So um, so most of the things, most of what we're doing are things like I spoke earlier about uh, autonomy. So we try to give people as much autonomy, as much flexibility in their job um, as we possibly can. So, and we're talking about people who are, you know, on the manufacturing floor, running equipment and things like that. So you'd think, okay, well, there can't be a whole lot of autonomy in that, right? You're, you've got to run this machine, you've got to do it this way. But, you know, there might be, you know, 10 or 12 machines and you can choose who you're going to be working with, you know, you can team up, you know, you and I could decide, okay, we're going to team up, we're going to run this machine today. Um, or maybe, um, I'm maybe I'm interested in running a new type of product or a new type of machine and learning a new thing. Uh, you may be an expert in that. So I talk to you and say, Hey, can you show me, can I work with you today and, and, and do that? So the, the supervisors are involved in running the starter shift meetings, but the employees are also figuring out for themselves what they're going to do, how they're going to do it, who they're going to do it with to, to the greatest extent that we possibly can. That's great. And also they're learning new skills all the time and that exactly. will help with succession management and everything. Yeah, yep. exactly. And they're really in charge of their own, um, to a large extent, they're in charge of their own education and, and advancement. Um, so there's, there's training manuals on all the different types of equipment, the different products that we run, things like that. And, and those are available for those people to take and, and learn that stuff, take a test, they get a reward, I guess you'd say it for every question they get. There might be a hundred questions on the task for every question they get right, they get three bucks. Um, so there's an incentive there because they are investing some of their, you know, some of them are investing some of their personal time in that they'll take the book home and read it over the weekend or something. Um, but they're, you know, they're, 
kind of now in charge of their own progress through the through the company and, and their own advancement. It's really incentivizing them not just to work for more knowledge, but also for obviously for financial gain. Right. And also, it sounds like the your your environment doesn't have like a, a very strict hierarchy in that way. You know, right. and that people have got a bit of flexibility with how they want to grow and move. Yeah, we try we try to minimize the hierarchy as much as possible. So, um, and we'll try to let people float between departments as much as possible too. So. So maybe you're interested in, we had a guy a couple years ago who was getting bored doing the work that he was doing. And so he started to talk to me, he said, oh, can I you know, talk to you thinking about starting my own business? I want to do this, that, you know, what do you think about that? And I said, yeah, you know, you could do that and everything. And I said, but Mike, it sounds to me like you're just kind of getting bored, you know, with what you're doing. And he said, yeah, he said, that's really the thing. I'm just bored. And I said, well, Dean's retiring from the from the maintenance shop from, you know, Dean is the welder, you know, would you be interested in working with Dean for a little while and see if you like, you know, would you be interested in welding, you know, and he's like, yeah, I'd love to do that. So basically the two of them worked together for a while. They both hit it off. They liked what they're doing. Mike learned how to weld from Dean. Dean retired, and now Mike's the welder. So, um, you know, just move, letting people move around like that is a, is a great thing. Helps, Perfect helps example, that flexibility, and, and it's only for the good of the business. Right. Brilliant. So can you share an example of how your higher purpose of your business helped to shape a major business decision? Sure. So a bunch of years ago, uh, one of the products we make is an edible glitter uh, product. Edible glitter? Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, so, it, you know, colored specs, sparkles, things like that. And of course, these days, everything's about unicorn this and that. So, yeah. So right now, this is a, it's a thing. A bunch of years ago, there was a couple of tobacco companies approached us because they th- saw that the edible glitter product could be a way for them to put flavors in tobacco. So they wanted to buy the edible, you know, buy the glitter with like peppermint flavor or bubblegum flavor or something in it, and then put it in, mix it in with the tobacco, put it in the cigarettes. And we talked about, we said, no, that's just not us. We're not doing that. So, um, so that's like a, you know, business decision. It could have been highly profitable. I'm sure we could make, you know, could have made a lot of money. You could have been jewel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, a, it's you know, it was the precursor to all that. We call know, that karma. Yeah, exactly. So we just, we just got around that whole thing. Yeah, and then, and then I guess on the other hand too, that we. We also really like working with companies that make products for relief organizations. So there are companies that you know specialize like in making products that might go to you know to the UN and or as part of the relief thing or whatever. And and part of those products are vitamins and minerals that are nutritional for that. And so we really like doing that kind of thing. That's a lot of fun. Oh, fantastic. Is there an example of a time when you didn't follow your company's higher purpose and what was the outcome? Yeah. Um, before you know, I spoke about sort of trying to get people on the same page and and hearing the same frequency, and it is really hard for some people. And I totally understand it. I'm I'm you know don't by any means believe that there's one way of doing everything. Um, but we had a, a young man uh, this year who was uh, doing his job extremely well, training a new person in another role, and also covering somebody else who was out on um, on vacation that same week. This is a young guy who was working really hard, putting a lot of himself into it. And he was he was skipping his lunch breaks. And he wasn't clocking out for lunch, which is a violation of company policies and labor laws and all kinds of other stuff. So uh, it basically, some people insisted that he be written up for it. So he was written up for it and he quit. And that's just one of those things where, you know, 
clearly we could have done it differently. There's got to have been something else that we could have done other than writing him up for it and, and you know, figuring something, you know, figuring something out. You know, everybody, you know, people knew that he was working hard. He was enjoying what he was doing. He was engaged in making his, con you know, contribution. His manager was picking up lunch for him and bringing it in. Uh, but, you know, he just, he wasn't following the rules and, and clocking out like you're supposed to do, you know, and, and you know, whatever. There just had to be a better, a better way, better way to resolve that, so. Mm. Which stakeholder is most important in your company? Yeah, so um, of all the stakeholders, the one that's most important is, you can probably tell by now what I'll say, but it's basically people. Um, the people in the company are the most important part because they're the ones who do everything else. Um, without the people in the company, you don't have any, and nothing else happens. So they're, they're like number one. And then after that, everything else takes, you know, takes care of itself. Absolutely. Now, conscious capitalism claims that stakeholder management is about understanding complex mm -hmm. systems and, and interrelationships between actors in those systems. How have you developed an awareness of the interrelationship between stakeholders? Have you done a formal stakeholder mapping exercise or anything like that? No, we haven't done that. I think I think maybe one of the reasons because we're um, we were a small family business and we were not very siloed. So you know we all talked to each other all day long. So it wasn't like you know purchasing was different from you know accounts payable and you know everybody was in different buckets or or whatever. We were all talking to each other and then. You know, from my point of view too, it, uh, and it's kind of going back to my religious studies background, sort of the way I look at it is almost like a, uh, a shaker community, because you had the the core um, the core shaker group, um, and then around them were a bunch of families, and around them were the you know people who bought and sold and, and traded with that community. Around them were the the towns around them. And that those communities always felt that 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 whole thing was in fact their community. You know, it wasn't that there was no real divide between their group and the you know the surrounding people that they bought materials from or sold things to. Mm. When is it acceptable to sacrifice the interests of, of one stakeholder for another? Yeah. So in my mind, it's not acceptable. If but you do get pushed, like say there's a total crisis, right? then the first people who have to take do something about it is the is the management and the ownership so if the leadership the leadership needs to take the lead obviously so so if there's a problem you know a financial problem things like that happening leadership needs to take the hit first if leadership takes the hit first then everybody else will get on board you know so leadership needs to take look you know we're going to we're going to take a cut in pay we're gonna take more vacation time or, or whatever it is. We're gonna, you know, work to support this. And then, and then, you know, if the situation still requires it, then reach out to other people and say, hey, you know, to the employees, to suppliers or customers and say, look, this is our situation. This is what we're trying to get through. And this is what we're doing about it. And I, you know, most most people are, are compassionate and they'll hear it and they'll, you know, if they know you're in and you're, you know, rolling this together, they'll, they'll roll up the sleeves and they'll do it. Exactly that. And if you know that, you know, the management team are yep. fully on board and they're, you know, exactly. not above. Right, you know, right, exactly. Because, you know, the management team's probably making a lot more money and yeah, they have bigger mortgages and all that kind of stuff, but they can probably withstand a hit much more than somebody who's looking Creating that unity, isn't it? Paycheck, yeah, exactly. I know your firm has made a point of giving back to the community, uh, but what has been your most effective program and how have you measured its success? 
Our most effective program was sort of an accidental thing. Um, our most effective program is probably our garden. Uh, Your garden? Yes, we have a garden. Um, so it's a it's an employee garden, and sort of happened by accident. I was thinking one day, how can we help people to stretch their budget, uh, make their paycheck go further, that kind of thing. And I thought, well, what if we plowed up the front yard and and planted a garden? So so it's basically what we did. So we plowed up about an acre the first year, and we reached out to employees. We said, hey, we're we're doing this. We're plowing this up. If you want a garden plot. You know, sign up. People signed up to to run the whole thing. Uh, people signed up. So we had about 50 or 60 employees the first year who who signed up, and it it benefited the company in so many different ways in the community as well. One of the first things it did was it brought people together who didn't normally see each other or interact on a daily basis. So you might be somebody who works in the analytical lab and you're from China and you grow certain you know fruits and vegetables and things there that you're familiar with. I'm, you know, from uh, Puerto Rico or South America or something. I've got a different sort of thing that I do, and you know, we're now, you know, neighbors in the garden. And I may be from the production floor or sanitation. You're from the analytical lab, and now we're chatting about things and and meeting and you know, sharing tips and things like that. So that that whole thing was really good. So my sister Moira got involved. My sister Moira is great at maximizing everything. And she's really into the whole garden thing too. So what we did was we set aside about 25% of the garden and we said, this is going to be for the, um, for wheat, which is the West Haven food bank, um, West Haven food pantry. And we said, so people in the garden or other people from the company, you know, could volunteer to help to maintain all that. Then the, one of the, so we've been doing this, I think about five or six years now, and the garden's grown, it's much bigger. And one of the things that also happens now is there's a, there's a local school group that comes and helps to maintain um, that part of that garden for the Connecticut Food Bank and, and for you know local food pantry. Oh my God, I love it. I love it. It's just the best idea ever. What a fantastic contribution. Okay, so what you're doing a lot for the community, I mean, that's, that's fantastic outreach stuff, but what has community given back to your firm? Yeah, you know, mostly it's it's personal satisfaction. So, you know, the, people express gratitude all the time. They're very appreciative of the things that we do. We've done stuff for veterans organizations and and you know all kinds of other groups, and they're they're always so happy to have us come and help out and and do a thing. And it just makes you feel really good. This is a great thing to do. Fantastic. Tell me a little bit about the food bank and you know and obviously how they then distributed what essentially your garden provided. Sure. So the actually the school group um, now picks up the produce that is in that one area of the garden, plus anything any anybody else has that they want to um, contribute. Maybe you've got way too many tomatoes this week, and there's no way you can eat them all. Um, so you put them in the basket, and and the school group comes and picks them up, takes them to the local food pantry. The other thing that's great about it is that you know the employees are all getting better nutrition now. They're they're and they're involved in their own food. Um, so they're you know they're they're eating better. Hopefully their their families are eating better, and they're getting getting more really good stuff i just love this i think this is one of the best uh, you know examples of how this can work fantastic so come on then gavin tell me tell me a little bit about your plans for the next five years or maybe the next 10 years sure um 
So I'll probably build some more boats. <laughs> uh, that's sort of the, the side hobby um, thing. But I'm really passionate about learning. I'm an avid reader. Uh, love to learn, read stuff, figure things out, puts things together, and then share that. So that's the, that's what I'm I'm really passionate about. So I'm hoping to be able to do uh, consulting work, work with work with companies, organizations that are interested in and in involving their culture, and drive their companies in a more conscious way. And you know, there's I think there are a lot of companies that people have a feeling like this is a good idea and a good thing, but they're so steeped in the normal way of doing things and the normal stuff that they just like, they're not sure if this really works and they're not sure how to start and that kind of thing. So I'm hoping that I can be that sort of impetus to help to, you know, give people a little nudge or like, yeah, it's going to work. Don't worry about it. And, and you know, help them out with that. Sort a bit of confidence to drive things yeah, forward. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And 10 years time. Um, probably still be doing pretty much the same thing. Still building yeah, boats. Yeah, still building boats. <laughs> reading still, books reading and teaching books people. And teaching stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Gavin, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much yeah. for your time today. Thank you. Look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks. Thanks very much.